our, our podcast. Um, I am thrilled to have a really good friend of mine, Alicia Jensen, joining us today. We are going to be talking about um, core beliefs as it relates to rewiring the brain and and taking control over where our brains go and how we interpret information, which is a really key part of being able to rewire the brain. And, um, and I think Alicia is a super good example of effectively doing this and, and, and also just a great person. So I, I thought that she would be a fun guest to, to join us to talk about this topic. So Alicia, you want to say anything? Well, thanks. It's fun to be here. I sure enjoy this material. I love stuff that makes your life better. And this is one of those. Yes, it is. So, um, Let's start a little bit just talking about what core beliefs are. Core beliefs are uh, work as a as a, a mental filter through which we we process information. So we we interpret everything that happens. Um, you know, if I if I move my computer that much, and you're watching this, you'll interpret what why I did that, and we we assign meaning to everything, and the um, the meanings that we we assign get filtered through our core beliefs, and core, so these core beliefs are are kind of foundational um, beliefs or, or statements that we have that um, we take as as givens. So there are things like um, you know people um, people don't like me, or or people value me. Or um, I'm I'm a good listener, or I'm a good friend. Um, keep getting a little bit of feedback. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Getting a little bit of echo sometimes. And so those are kind of examples of core beliefs, and we'll um, talk about them, of course, as we move along here. Um, but Alicia, in your life, how uh, how have you how noticed? core beliefs affecting um, you and your relationships and kind of and your parenting and, and those kinds of things. Oh, wow. Um, well, since I became aware uh, that maybe not everything I was seeing and doing was reality per se, I've become so much more aware just of the things in my head and how they're kind of dictating how I see still see things and and it's always so interesting the change inside of me that happens when I question that when I'll sense that I'm going in a direction then I'll be like wait a second <laughs> why am I going there and then I question it then all of a sudden everything in my body and my mind changes and I think it's not necessarily reality what I'm experiencing here it's kind of just something that's how I'm, I'm interpreting it. And I'd like to see things more clearly, right? <clears throat> yes. And you, you bring up a really good point, which, you know, part of seeing things more clearly is starts with recognizing the subjective nature of, of our thoughts. Right? I mean, we, we tend to, to take it as a given that our thoughts are, are, are accurate. And, um, and lots of us, like think that our our thoughts are objective. Uh, in, in reality, 
our, our thoughts are very subjective and, um, and based on our perceptions, right? And so whatever information we have, uh, we can only use the information we have to interpret something. And, and that changes based on the angle that we're looking at something or how much of, of what's going on in somebody else um, we have access to and all of those kinds of things. And, and so it, it's, it's a really good point that it's super powerful, I think, just to recognize that, that um, our thoughts are subjective. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what, what have you found helpful as, as you've kind of taken more control over your thoughts and your life? <laughs> um, that's a broad question, but... <laughs> What uh, what have you found helpful as you've as you've been more purposeful? I, I think you're a very purposeful person. Um, and anyway, what have what have you found helpful in that process? Hmm. Um. Wow. Uh, well, it started off with really kind of choosing to buy into the core belief system, right? Like that was, I think, is a first initial step to even be able to move anywhere is saying you know there really is a system that i was born into and it's and and also saying you know it's not like my parents did it on purpose they didn't create it and say i'm i'm going to bring her and make it miserable or great or anything they just were who they were and the world they lived in and that's what i was in and so it started with maybe just taking out all of the power that was in it, I guess. And then um, just from there saying, you know, now let's look at it and see kind of what I was given. What is my core beliefs? Where, what do they look like? And stop letting them, I don't know, because part of us has this drive of, oh, um, I don't want to be critical of the things I was given, but I, but I also, <laughs> Um, want to be grateful. I don't know. There's a lot of power that you kind of have to let go somehow in a healthy way to get started. Yes. Several really good points there. Um, one is, is sort of this false dichotomy that we create in our minds thinking that if, if, if X is true, then Y isn't true. And so like if my parents were good parents, then then everything they did was good, right? And, and recognizing that um, we can be good people and do good things and screw up, right? <clears throat> and, and one of those things doesn't negate the other one. And all of the principles in, in the, in, you know, my healthy and happy stuff really build on each other. And, and a few that really tie into this are both understanding neurology and then also attachment and on the understanding neurology piece, you know, and you made reference to the fact that our literally our brains get wired through the interactions with our caregivers um, and, and our primary attachment figures, which are primarily our, our, our parents, right? Our, our mothers and our fathers and 80% of the brain gets wired by age three before most of us are even aware that most most people's first 
memory is somewhere around three or four. Occasionally, somebody will have an actual memory before that, but most of us, our, our first memories are somewhere around three or four. And so by the time we have any conscious memories, 80% of our brain has already been wired. And then by the, by the time we're age five, 90% of our brain has been wired. And, it's, and then from age five to about 25, the latest research shows, that remaining 10% gets wired. And so literally, we as parents wire the, the roadmap of, of core beliefs into our children. And literally, our roadmaps were wired by our parents. And recognizing, like you said, that that occurred, and and the I don't know what the right word is subjective um, sort of biased nature of that, and and again I know very few parents who are like I'm going to intentionally harm my kid, right? I mean, <laughs> I I don't know that I've ever in the 24 years that I've been doing this had anybody say that to me. Um, but the reality is that as imperfect people, um, we we do the best we can, and and we end up creating a lot of of unhealthy core beliefs, and and most all of us have some of those um, unhealthy core beliefs that have been wired into us. Um, so as you became became aware of the reality of this process, then what? Um, then it was, uh, beginning to recognize kind of what those patterns were, what they tended to look like in my own life, like where I tended to go and where, and then you know, what the feelings tended to be created after that. And I, and I, and I was able to pick out some pretty, um, frequent paths that I was taking all the time. And, and then, um, at that point I kind of had to take myself out of it and not either get too hard on myself about it because it's not necessarily anyone's fault. It just kind of is, but that is really, that was hard for a while. It's not so much anymore. Now I just want to really change and let go of them, but it can be hard at the beginning, um, just to be letting go of that either shaming yourself about it or feeling like somehow it's your fault that you're doing it. It's somebody's fault. And this is, I don't know, there's a lot, you have to kind of let go and let it sit and be a, a somehow objective. Yeah. Can you think of any, um, any examples of those that you would feel comfortable sharing? Um, uh, well, Oh, there's a there's a lot. Let's see. Um, I do tend to get overwhelmed when I'm in crowds or with uh, lots of people, and I and I found myself uh, often having these really high expectations of social situations that I needed to behave this certain way. I can't even I can't even tell you exactly what the certain way was, but in my mind I knew that it had to be. And so I was always feeling nervous whenever, because I never could achieve those, those level of uh, whatever it was I was expecting of myself. 
And, um, and yet it was getting the way because I craved connection and I craved being with people. And so, um, I, I started by just feeling that anxiety I would feel and really just recognizing that it was a pattern and that there wasn't necessarily any truth to it. Where are these high expectations that I was asking of myself? What are they really? And, and so I then practiced different prepared responses for trying to undo it. Yeah. So what, um, what do you try to think instead of that? So I would I sat and tried a bunch of them, but the one that works the best for me right now, um, that kind of gets dispels that any types of anxiety or nervousness is is just telling myself that people like being around me. They people enjoy being around me, and there is no big expectations. I'm I'm only human, and so are they, and we're all just here to have a good time. What is the, what's the big deal? Essentially it kind of frames around those <clears throat> and it's been powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes to show that it could seem simple to someone else, but your own, whatever is going on in, in your own neurology is powerful in this. And, and I'm trying to rewire it by just saying that over and over. And it's surprisingly is surprisingly powerful. Such a simple little phrase. Right. Well, and that's, um, and I can, I can attest to the fact that you are very pleasant to be around and, <laughs> and those new core beliefs and, and interpretations are much more accurate than, than those other ones that you were, that you were following. And, you know, one of the, one of the kind of powerful and, and tricky things about this too, is I hear people say all the time, <clears throat> as we identify healthy core beliefs like that, like, okay, yeah, I know that, you know, nobody's perfect. Um, or, you know, we're all doing our best. We intuitively know that, right? And, and there's part of your brain, your, your frontal lobes that, that understand that truth. At the same time, for, for many of us, there's a disconnect between those understood truths and how we feel and the, the neurology that we've been wrapped in. And so, so part of the process of, of changing those things is really sort of connecting the dots between what we cognitively understand and know in our, in our, in our left brain and what we feel in our right brain. Um, and the, the, the marriage of those two so you've, you've got your logical brain and you've, and you've got your emotional brain. And then in the middle um, is what is referred to as your wise brain that incorporates both logic and feeling and, and connecting the dots on, on those things and what we, what we sort of um, conceptually understand and what we believe is a really important process. And you also hit another really important point, which is it's not rocket science. Um, it, it isn't like you have to go through this really comp complicated rubric of, of things. Our, our, as, as organs, our brains will go where we direct them to go if we will direct them. If we don't direct them, 
they will default to whatever whatever we were doing. But if we're willing to take our brains by the reins, um, catchy phrase, huh? If we're, if we're willing to take our brains by the hand and and direct where they go, our brains are eager to follow us and will follow us if we will direct them. And and that's a uh, and and it's just it's a matter of, you described it really well. It's a matter of identifying what the what the unhealthy core belief is. And then identifying some alternatives, and sometimes you have to try if you want, right? You have to say, "Well, yeah, this doesn't quite feel like it fits," and and you have to try that a little bit, and then you can grab um, grab some that feel good, and then you can go with them. That's a that's a really good point. I'm gonna. I know some of you, many of you, will be listening to this um, and not see the the drawing that I'm going to do right now, um, but I'll try to describe it a little bit too. Because I, I think it's helpful to to kind of conceptualize how how, how core beliefs look. And so I'm I'm drawing a picture of of a filter. Um and and that is where the core belief is. And so if I have a belief that um nobody likes me, or maybe I'm not likable. We have data coming at us all the time, and I'm I'm drawing that as a representation of different shapes. I, I've I've drawn a rectangle and a triangle and a circle, um, and maybe a star, and and the opening of the filter lets in the rectangle shape really well, and so data that is congruent with our core beliefs, um, we don't have any problem incorporating and accepting that data. So if I believe that nobody likes me and, you know, I don't get asked to the dance that I want to go to, um, or I don't get hired at a, at a certain job, I, I apply or I apply to school and I don't get in or, um, you know, I, whatever, I, I, there's a party and I don't get invited to it or, or whatever. My brain doesn't have any problem gobbling up that kind of data because it's totally congruent with the way that I that I view the world. However, if when we when we get data that is incongruent with our core beliefs, so say um, I I I get offered the job of my dreams, or um, the you know, the the boy or the girl that I absolutely want to go to the dance with asks me, um, you know, I, I get whatever that data is. I, 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 I make the play that I tried out for or whatever. Then our brains have a little bit of a problem, right? Because I've got this data that is incongruent with the way that I view the world. And so what most of us do in those moments is we squish that data we, we reinterpret it and massage it into something that doesn't um, contradict or challenge our core beliefs. So, if so it, in the case of a job, if I get offered a job that I've really wanted, I might say, well, yeah, but that's just because nobody else applied. Or once they find out that I'm, that I'm really not that capable, then they're going to let me go. Or... Um, that boy only asked me to the dance because um, he felt sorry for me. We, we do those kinds of things where we, 
we massage the data so that we can we can safeguard our core beliefs. If, on the other hand, we take the opportunity to use that data, that that discrepant or contradictory data, to challenge the core belief, then we can start to change the core belief. And if, like you said, Alicia, if we intentionally give our brain something else to think about, then we can start looking for data that is congruent with the new belief, right? And so like in the case that you said, you might, you, you go to, into a social situation and you're thinking, people like me. Um, people respond well to me. And then you start, you start noticing that a conversation went well or, you know, somebody approached you and asked you how you were doing or whatever. Does that make sense? Yes. Thoughts on that? Oh, well, it's, when I think about these types of things, um, it's, it's surprising to me how it seems like such a little thing to be purposeful and to look at yourself and to see where things aren't going well in your life and, and to create little prepared responses and work with them. But man, they can be so, so power, so powerful. powerful. That's what, um, that's what keeps me most interested about this type of concept because I, I love the concept of change and be able to become the best, um, the best version of ourselves. And it's really not possible if we're walking around not even aware or being really purposeful of what's going on. Because like you said, we'll keep trying to make everything work and change and keep telling ourselves the same essentially lies about ourselves and about the world. And that doesn't help us become who we really can become. No, it doesn't. Nor does it help us be happy. Right. 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 Or help us be happy. Because cognitive distortions or unhealthy core beliefs um, do not help us feel better about ourselves. They're, they're always destructive. I, I wish that you guys that are listening could, could have a sneak peek in, into how well Alicia has done with this stuff. Um, I've, you know, I, I think that you're such a good example. I've, I've watched like the, the way that you've, um, that it's affected the way that you interface with your family of origin um, and, and, and the, the changes that you've been able to make in, in how you interface in your marriage and in your parenting. And I, I don't, I don't think you even realize how um, really how stellar of a job you have done in, in taking control of, of what you do and where your brain goes. It's, um, it's really awesome. And I wish, I wish all of you listening could see how great of a job she has and does do at this. Um, so anyway, that's just a little pat on the back there. Um, I don't know how to ask what I want to ask. Um, how do you feel like being aware of your interpretations and your core beliefs has influenced some of your relationships, some of the important relationships in your life? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, 
well, I, it hasn't made anything worse. And, and like, it's opened my eyes to how things kind of, how they, how they really are, how I really want them to look. And, and it's kind of taken away the powerlessness that we can feel sometimes. Like, I just can't, what is the, what is the rub here? I don't even know. And now I feel like I can, I can see it. And, um, and I can always kind of work on something. I always kind of, I have, have something I can be looking at or working on, I guess. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you, you hit a really good point that um, <clears throat> perhaps as, if not even more important than the impact that this has on our relationships is, is what it does in terms of how we feel in our relationships. And so often we feel so powerless to affect change um, or to know how to react when, when our buttons are pushed. And, and by understanding the relationship between our cognitions and how we feel, um, and then recognizing that you have power in that can, can help decrease the sort of the victimization that that other people have the power to to create in us if that makes sense, that mm -hmm. make sense? yes i I do think it makes sense i i think I think a lot of us walk around feeling like we can't we just can't es almost escape what life has given us we can't quite figure our way out of what we're feeling and we don't even know what we're feeling really. And and so I really I have liked breaking down and figuring out what my core beliefs are or where my brain is wired to go in places because I really want to like like one a major one for me is I want to all the time be giving people the benefit of the doubt right and unless we I mean we can just say that as a quaint little phrase oh I'm giving someone the benefit of the doubt but the truth is is it's there all the time. I mean, it's like all the time, all the time. Like, it's not something we can just say. It's something literally every time someone looks at us. So I really like the power we have to start looking at ourselves and, and recognizing what we feel. And that whenever I start feeling hurt by something that someone else does, guess what? I didn't give them the benefit of the doubt. And instead of sitting there thinking all the time, man, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this way? Why do I always feel kind of upset? Why do I always feel like, I don't, like people are not treating me well, right? It takes away some of the, power, just some power. of the imprisonment this world can feel like. And in opening up that we really do have a lot of power. I feel that in itself was one of my, is one of my favorite ones to work on. It never, yeah. I can never have enough of it. Yeah, that's a really good, a really good point. And I, and I think also, also extending that benefit of the doubt to yourself is exactly. is a big part of this as well. And recognizing that, you know, progress and change doesn't take place. Rewiring the brain doesn't take place overnight, or or even over six months or a year. It's, it is, you know, we, we're here to progress and to move forward and, 
and it's at least a lifelong process of um, of trying to to get our our wiring more healthy and um, and giving others the benefit of the doubt in that process and also giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt is a really important part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about attachment style as it relates to core beliefs. Um, my, uh, my buddy Mario asked a good question um, about why attachment style is, uh, is such a powerful core belief, which is one of the things that I said in one of my posts. And, and so I want to talk a little about that because I think it's, I think it's a super powerful core belief. And so, um, and you and I have talked some about this, but attachment style is, is a belief system about two really important variables. It's a belief system about my worth. How do I, how do I believe others view me? Do I expect to matter and to be significant and important in the important relationships in my life? And it's also a belief system about what I expect from intimate or close relationships in my life, in particular around secure-based behavior. So do I expect other people to respond with sensitivity and availability to me? Or do I expect them not to? And so in the case of a secure attachment style, the expectation is that I'm going to matter. I'm significant in people's life. I'm going to be significant. People want me around. And I expect the important people in my life to respond well to me. I expect them to be available and I expect them to be sensitive. If I have an avoidant um, attachment style, then I believe just the opposite. I believe that there must be something wrong with me, that the, that the most important people in my life don't seem to, to really value me or, or, or care about me or that I don't seem to be to really matter to them. And in terms of what I expect in terms of sensitivity and availability, I don't expect that if I'm avoidant. I expect them to be unavailable. I expect them to, to be un, um, insensitive to me. And then if I'm if I'm ambivalent or preoccupied or anxious, all terms um, used for the for the same attachment style, then I don't know what to expect. Uh, in terms of my value, preoccupied people tend to think that, that there must be something wrong with me that I don't seem to know how to get this consistent response from the important people in my life. And in terms of sensitivity and availability, the ambivalent attachment style has no idea what to expect. And, um, you know, they don't know whether they're going to be met with sensitivity and availability when they're in need or whether they're going to be met with unavailability and or insensitivity. So they don't have a consolidated uh, paradigm or framework. And so how that works in terms of a a core belief is that then those beliefs then filter the way that I show up and interact in my in my intimate or attachment relationships. Right. And, and so if I'm avoidant um, or, um, or detached, how am I going to respond? Well, I'm going to respond. I don't know if this will work, but I'm going to respond like this, right? I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to put my back to you, and I'm going to interface with you like that. 
well, what does my brain want? I still want to matter to you, right? And I want to feel safe to you, but I don't believe that I'm going to. I believe that you're not going, that I'm not going to matter to you. And I believe that you're not going to really make yourself available or sensitive. So I try to protect myself like this. Because of those core beliefs, I then engage like this. Well, well if you're trying to have a relationship with me, how does that feel, Alicia? Difficult. Yeah, it feels yucky, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to engage with me, what are you going to do if you're healthy? Well, if you're healthy, if you're healthy uh, you would probably say something about it. It feels like you're really not connecting with me. You're not really letting me in. I can't really get to get to you. What can I do to be able to get to you? Exactly. To Exactly. If you're healthy, you're going to address this, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to try to get it working well. <clears throat> but if you keep getting met like this, even after, even though you're trying, if I keep engaging with you like this, eventually, what are you going to do? Give up. <laughs> yeah, you're going to bail, right? You're, a healthy person is not going to stay in that kind of relationship. And when you do, what is my brain going to say? This is working. Of course. Of course. Of course she left. Everybody leaves me. Um, because you've behaved congruently with what I expect. You've behaved congruently with my core beliefs about my value and about what I expect from relationships in terms of sensitivity and availability. Right? And so that's how core beliefs, the attachment style, become such important core beliefs in in attachment relationships. Um, if I'm preoccupied, then how do I engage? If I'm preoccupied, sometimes I'm really open. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm running away hoping that you'll pursue me, right? Sometimes, and then if you turn around at all, then I'm, I'm going to be, hey, wait, don't leave me, right? right. So, I'm, so I'm the preoccupied belief system that, that I, I can't count on you to consistently show up for me leads me to be seeking constant reassurance, right? Do, do you still love me? Do you still want to be with me? Uh, well, I know you told me that five minutes ago, but is it still true now? Um, I know that you wanted to be with me yesterday. Do you want to be with me today? And the preoccupied person, because they don't have that core belief that, that they're going to matter to the other person and that the other person is going to be sensitive and available to them, they are ever seeking, but continuously doubting. Well, there again, if that's what it's like to engage with me and you're healthy, what are you going to do? Just keep trying to draw it out. Keep trying to make it clear, make it obvious and break down any of these. Right. You're going you're gonna to say, hey, um, you said this or I said this um, do you still want to do this do you still believe this right you confront that and um, and and that breaks that process down and it and it makes it makes the dysfunction co uh, that covert dysfunction overt and it gives me an opportunity to change right it gives me an opportunity to trust that you're going to value me and that to trust that you're not going to bail on me. 
if I continue to engage in a in an ambivalent or preoccupied way with you, an anxious way with you, and you're healthy, eventually, what are you going to do? Well, I yeah, it's not looking good. Yeah, I can't. Imagine. Yeah, if, if you're healthy, eventually, my my preoccupied engagement with you will ruin that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And and there again. When that happens, my my belief is going to interpret that as, of course, of course that happened. That's what that's what always happens. And so that's why attachment style is such a powerful core belief because it foundationally influences the way that we engage in the most important relationships in our lives. And we almost always end up getting exactly what we expect. We don't even realize we're doing it. You know, the data on divorce, I think, is relevant here because over 50% of first marriages end in divorce. And over 60% of second marriages end in divorce. One of the reasons for that is that the same underlying process almost always exists in second marriages that existed in in first marriages. And if it didn't work the first time, It's not any more likely. In fact, it's less likely to work the second time, right? Um, And then, interestingly, in third marriages, the divorce rate drops way down. And typically, that's for a couple of different reasons. One, a lot fewer people marry three times, and, and so it's a smaller number. And two, it's typically in between the first or the second and the third marriage when people really do the work that we're talking about and start breaking that apart and say, you know, what in the world is this? Um, why, why didn't this work? And, and that's when they start doing the things that we're talking about here today. Thoughts? Well, again, I, I think it's really sad that most of us have to have some awakening in our life that makes us want to look at ourselves closer and start being more proactive. Um, and it would be really nice if we would take it upon ourselves and just start looking at ourselves because it really um, is actually a lot easier, right? Than waiting between the second and third marriage Absolutely. <laughs> for it finally to, but at least, I mean, at least it's happening, I suppose, right? At some point, but for ourselves, we don't want that. No. <laughs> and and when I when I work with people that are that are contemplating divorce, I what I normally say, you know, divorce is always a bad idea. It's always a bad option. It comes with predictable negative consequences um, for both people, for everyone involved, children and people. Yeah. And there are times when it is the best of the bad options. So there are there are absolutely times when divorce is is a is a healthy and a good idea, but it always comes with the with a price tag, and and negative consequences. So you're right. You're much better off to fix what you've got than um, than to throw that away and and try with something else. So, um, other thoughts, Alicia, on on core beliefs or um, kind of rewiring the brain. And the thing that I I don't know, I I try to bring up a lot with myself is just that um, 
you know, every little bit matters. Like any little bit of purposefulness, it doesn't have to be because I tend to be an all or done. Like I'd like to get it all. And the truth is, is offering just a little bit. Every little bit makes a, makes a difference and willing to see ourselves just a little bit more clear. It all makes a difference. And, um, so it adds up. It adds up. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. And Not all of us can attack 10 things at once. It's okay. Just start with one and just start looking at it closely and just see where it goes. But at least it gets you going somewhere. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you joining me. I, um, it's, it's always fun to talk to you and, and it's been fun to talk about these things. Um, I think, you know, just kind of in um, wrapping up remarks, I just, I, I think that it's super important to remember the power that we have in, in rewiring the brain. Um, most of us never substantially change our core beliefs, just like most of us never change our attachment style. Um, but, or I guess, and we absolutely have the power to do so if we will. And that's one of the main messages that I would like to, to convey is that um, core beliefs are not set in stone. They are, they're malleable and, and they are things that um, really influence the way that we think and feel throughout the day. And they're absolutely changeable if we're willing to do so. Any final thoughts on your side, Alicia? Oh, well, I mean, not really. It's been great. I really love um, Denim's ideas. He's really passionate about what he does. And I feel like he really tries to to, um, live it in his own life. And uh, I mean, I think that shows, right? Anytime that someone's really trying to make their own life better and make the world a better place. So I really love working with Denim too. Well, thank you. You're very kind. I appreciate you guys um, joining us and tuning in. And if you have any questions about this, don't hesitate to um, shoot me a message. And, uh, you know, if it feels like I haven't um, explained something clearly or whatever, I want to make sure that I'm um, that I'm helpful. So if you need more information to be helpful, please let me know. Thanks.